Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back. We are here with Jeff Morrill, and I am so stoked to have Jeff here for many reasons. Number one, because Jeff co-founded Planet Subaru and like four different other companies in the real estate niches, telecommunications, um, insurance, he's pretty much done it all, right? So this, this guy has a lot of success across all of his companies. But secondly, is because all of these companies have become very successful. He's generated over $100 million a year in revenue through these companies. So the guy obviously knows what he's talking about when it comes to really launching and scaling a company quickly. So Jeff, first off, say hello to everybody and then we'll move forward. Hello. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. So Jeff, my first question, and you know, we talked about this in the pre-interview, but my very first question for you in particular, because of your past experience, is if you had to start over again and build another business to add to your portfolio at this point, right? If you had to add another business to your portfolio, what type of business would you build and how would you build it so that you could have a profitable, livable income within 90 days? I think it's really important that business owners enter into a business where they have skills and they have a desire to actually do the work. So in other words, I don't think you have to love baking to be a baker or to own a pastry shop. And certainly owning a pastry shop environs, uh, and so it involves a lot more skills than, than actually doing the baking. But but I think it's important that you really enjoy it. And that's how I ended up in the car business because I love cars. But if I had to start over, the other thing I love doing recreationally is cutting wood. So we have a big uh, wooded property here and I, don't, I can't explain it. There's just something about the Zen of it. I love cutting trees. It's a little bit dangerous. It's actually a lot bit dangerous, although I leave the, the most dangerous stuff to the professionals. And I think if I needed to earn a living immediately, then I could, I have the equipment ready to go. So I wouldn't need a big investment. I have the skills. And I think I would just start knocking on doors or distributing paper flyers in this rural area where I live, you know, stick taping them to mailboxes. And I think I could start generating revenue as soon as tomorrow, because it's a business where uh, the competition has a hard time being really organized and, and responding in a um, conscientious way to customer requests. I mean, there, it's just one of those industries that you're lucky to get a call back. The person you call never picks up the phone. So I like that the competition isn't particularly strong, not in terms of their, their woodcutting skills or their ability to actually do the work safely but rather their ability just to, to serve customers at a high level. And, and that's a skill set I have. So I think that's, that's my answer. See, and I have to highlight that because that was such a beautiful answer for many reasons. Number one, I mean, this is a guy who's built companies in multiple different industries. He has a lot of skills, but he was saying, I do this as a hobby. I already enjoy it. It's something I know I have the tools. Everything's already done for him. All he had to do was go hand out flyers and make money tomorrow. Right. And, and in business, so many people, I mean, we, we naturally overcomplicate it because we're thinking it has to, we have to have the websites and everything set up the logos. We've got to get inventory and do all of these things, develop the product. But instead just focusing, like what you're talking about is just focusing primarily on 
focus on what you have, generate the cash. So I, there's a, a unique question I want to ask you in particular with this, Jeff, just because of the way you've built your businesses. What would be the second business you would build? Once you have that cash in place, you've generated skills, you understand how to grow a business, what would be the second one you'd build? Well, let me give you an answer maybe you're not expecting. I think I'd, I would scale the crap out of that one first. And what I mean by that is the, the beauty of a business that you kind of get some momentum and cash flow going early on is that, that it wouldn't be too long, I think, before I could hire somebody. And then I could probably hire another person after that. And then eventually you get to a crew that's big enough and talented enough. And this wouldn't happen in 90 days. I mean, this, this could take, you know, person starting out, even though it's not a real heavy lift, it could take a few years to get to that point where you had a crew that had uh, supervision that you didn't have to be actually on the job. But once you get to that point, then your day is free to, first of all, to, to recover from all the effort you put in originally in working those long hours. But, but also you can start building the second crew and then the third, and, and that's how you grow. And at some point, I, I don't recommend that people just grow and grow and grow. In, in, my, uh, in the case of my brother and I, we, we eventually decided that we had enough businesses. We were happy. We had, we had accomplished what we set out to do. And, and um, the, the cash flow was such that, that it was more than we, we needed. So, so the decision became, do we want to keep killing ourselves and exposing us to additional risk? To, um, to continue building? And, and the answer for us was no. I know, I, I know a lot of people who, who the answer, they, they just can't ever stop. You know, they're going to keep on going, but that was our answer. But to get, get back to your, your actual specific question, I think I'd, I'd want to go into site contracting. And site contracting is, and when I talk about, that's like people with the, the big earth movers that will dig foundations for homes or, you know, um, Move, moving dirt around. And the reason I like that one is huge capital costs to get into that one. So at that point, I would have already had a successful business providing the cash flow. I'd have the collateral to, uh, to offer as a loan to the banks and I'd be able to borrow to buy all that expensive equipment. And again, the competition is not particularly strong in this area, not in terms of the skill sets because they're, they're, they can move dirt around. But the same thing is that these aren't businesses, uh, in my experience, that have a lot of uh, experience with with taking really good care of customers. It's just not their focus. Right. Because the, because there's a lack of competition, they don't feel like they have to focus on that because they're so, right, well, if I'm the only option. And you know, I come from a rural area as well. Um, we're up here in Idaho, and we have that same problem with a lot of, you know, initially it was the, the construction companies. There were two or three big ones. Now there's a lot of other little players, but they dominate the market with poor customer service because they're the only option, right? Well, I have to go with them or I have to hire somebody clear out of Utah in our case and bring them up here to work. So I, I love that that would be kind of your next one. And, and you're establishing yourself in a place where the barriers to entry are really, really, really high. Very few people could actually enter that industry and succeed, but you could because you have the capital and you have the experience already. So I, yeah. I love that. I think it's really important that, I mean, I, I guess for your audience, many of whom already own businesses, this is probably less important for their first business, but thinking in terms of their second, if, if they're to the point where they plateaued and they think that they've kind of accomplished what they could in that particular line of work and they might see an opportunity in a, in a different vertical, it's really important to, to take measure of what you have available to you in terms of skills and connections and that kind of thing. And and it might be that, like for me now, I have a superpower and it doesn't sound particularly 
This is not something that uh, is going to going to get me a, a feature in a Marvel comic, but I can borrow enormous amounts of money now. Like that was never the case early in my career because banks wanted, you know, banks don't want to lend money to people who actually really need it. They want to lend money to people who have so many resources and assets to collateralize the debt that they can reduce their risk of, of the, the person not paying them back. So, so I have a, a big advantage now over, over many people who, who don't have the access to that capital. You can blow yourself up borrowing too much, but it's also a way to turbocharge the growth of a business if you do it well. Yeah. And I think people get really scared with that, especially in our industry. You know, most people listening here are infopreneurs, right? They're selling a digital product. So their margins are high, their overhead's very low. They get scared by bringing on debt because they're like, well, what if I stop getting customers? What if I stop getting clients in the door? Am I going to be able to cover this debt? So I, I know that that's been a big fear for a lot of the people that we've worked with, but yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not recommending taking on a lot of debt. I, I didn't sleep for like 10 years because when we opened, you know, we had to borrow several hundred thousand dollars to buy the bankrupt Subaru dealership, which was our first business. And then immediately after we had to borrow millions of dollars to, to buy all the cars. And we knew, you know, that at, at any time a recession could come along or something and disrupt the cyclical business that we were in and just wipe us out if we couldn't, we couldn't service the debt. So I don't, I really don't recommend that. There, there are occasions where that just makes sense and it made sense for us and we did it. But, but generally, I think you can get in a lot of trouble. You know, debt's, uh, it's like gasoline. You know, you, it'll power a car and get you 500 miles from here, but it can blow you up too. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, and I want to ask a few more questions, Jeff, along those lines, because because of the nature of what you've built, you know, and and I do have to reference one thing that I didn't reference in the very beginning is that you know, Jeff has recently um, launched a book. And so you're coming on podcasts and things have become a big part of your promotion as well. But for you, and this is one of the things that was really exciting to me is you're not writing the book to make money. Like you said, you know, you've, you've got enough businesses, you're comfortable where you're at. That's as far as you want to go. And I love that about you because most people are that, you know, I've got to be a billionaire, a trillionaire, or I'm not going to be happy, right? But you've you, know, you found where you're at and now you're focusing more on kind of legacy style businesses. I mean, your entire focus seems to have shifted to, hey, how can I give back? You've written a book to help people to win in business, but you're just giving the proceeds to charity, which I love. I don't know if you wanted me to mention that, but I, am, I just had to point it out. You're a good guy. So I want to ask you this. When it comes to your legacy and that shift that you've been doing, shifting over to giving back. Um, what motivated that for you? And then when did you know that like this was the time that you needed to actually shift? I think the the real inflection point for me, uh, December 13th of 2018, I was in a very violent mountain bike accident where my uh, my right leg was completely broken off. It was holding on only with skin and bone. And I was lucky to escape that incident with my life. And I, I'm still trying to, to recover from that accident. But that night in the hospital, I, I realized that that could have been my last day. And, and it was immediately after that, that I, I said, wow, you know, there have been a lot of investments that people have made in me my whole life. I think about the teachers who forewent lots of income that they could have enjoyed doing another profession, but but they decided to teach because it was something that was important to them to help develop the next generation. And I think about even people in my own family that made a lot of sacrifices to, 
to create an environment where we could we could get the education we needed to succeed and, and on and on and on. And, and I realized at that moment that I had not, it, had that been the last day, I had not done justice to repaying even, even a fraction of the investment that had been made in me by all these wonderful people. So that was the the trigger to say, well, what, what, where can I start giving back? And so my wife and I, you know, made a commitment to, to substantially increase the amount of financial donations that we would make to, to causes that are important to us. And I also wanted to share the ideas I had about how to run ethical businesses, because I really, I think I learned the hard way, uh, some principles and some tactics of how you can run a business in such a way that that not only do you earn a good living, which you need to, I mean, it, it's profitable companies that, that are able to, to make the biggest contributions. Not only that, but to improve their corner of the world. So I'll give you an example of one of the things I'm really proud of in the book that we've succeeded at in our businesses. And I think to the extent that people are, are going to be hiring others, they can think about these same things. In uh, the car business, women have traditionally been excluded from the opportunities to be... Uh, to have access to the good income and the career path in, in the car business. And so we realized that we were missing out on, on really half the population, if, if the, half the talent pool, if we were only hiring men. So we made a commitment to try to invite more women into the business and to create a situation where people who weren't previously in it, like in the case of technicians, who didn't already have the technical skills to work on cars that, that we created a program where we would train them ourselves. So the result is that we have access to a lot of talented people when talented people are, are hard to find. And, and the other thing is that we've created economic opportunities for people and, and enrich the communities and the families they come from because these are good jobs with good benefits, with, with income potential and, and growth over the years that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So, you know, I love that. And, and, and I want to kind of highlight this with the story too. A lot of times people, they, they shift more legacy when it's a near death experience, or, you know, maybe they go to a third world country for the first time in their life, right? They, you have these kind of shock moments that make you realize, wow, I have a lot I need to give back. And I thought it was cool that you decided to say, okay, we're, we're going to give back financially, but instead of just being the philanthropist, right? Who just gives the money away. You're saying, let's, let me also teach what I know. And in your case, right? Working with, with women, bringing women into the workplace as well. I'm sure that was one of the big factors that helped you grow your company. I mean, we've, we've seen that in all industries when you're working with, with both men and women, they bring both really good things to the table for everybody, especially in, the, in a company situation. So I, I want to ask you this because I, I loved you. I have to read it off here because I thought it was awesome. So you, we, we asked, Steve, or excuse me, Jeff, I just talked to a guy named Steve, <laughs> just talked to Jeff um, about there. We asked Jeff um, if this was a masterclass, what would he call it? And he said, um, fix your hiring by looking for soldiers instead of just looking for people or for people who look good in a uniform. That, um, I love that statement because it kind of, um, it's a, it's a shock statement, right? So I want, I want you to kind of break that apart for us. What do you mean when you're like finding soldiers instead of people who just look good in the uniform? I think most hiring processes select for interviewing skills rather than all the more important things that really drive a person's success in a company. So I think 
because many companies don't have an organized hiring process, generally it's one interview. The interview consists of a conversation about hobbies, pets, maybe resume related things. Oh, you went to that college. I went to that college too. And so you end up picking picking people for your company based on their ability to interview well, rather than their ability to really, really do the job. So that's the distinction there. Like we don't really care how well you interview. There is some overlap between interview skills and the job that you'll need to perform for us. But some jobs, there's very little overlap. The first woman we hired as a technician in 2016, she was a terrible interview. I mean, I, I was involved in, in that interview and we just couldn't, I mean, it was just, we were dragging things out of her, but, but we have a, a script that's designed to surface qualities that, that we think are going to be successful on our team. And, and those scripts are available on my website, jeffmoral.com. If you want to take a look and see what I'm talking about there, we, we know in advance what we're looking for in a person. And if they're really nervous or awkward or, well, who cares if they can turn wrenches really well after we, we impart the, the training, the skills they need to succeed, who cares whether they're good in an interview? And I think that's, that summarizes it pretty well. Yeah. And, and I love that because I mean, <laughs> we've all done it. We've all interview, interviewed for the job and you show up just so nervous, but you know, you're, I have all of the skills that they need. I know I could fit into their, their, um, uh, maybe their tribe, their community they've built within their own company, but maybe I'm a bad interview, right? Maybe I'm having a hard time interviewing. And I know for us, when we've interviewed people, um, there's been many people who come in and because they're such a good interview, we don't want to hire them because if somebody's that good, <laughs> there's something wrong about them. We feel that way a lot of times, like maybe they're really good at manipulating or they're a narcissist or something. And when people come into the interview all cocky and stuff, for us, that's been a huge red flag because of the way we run our company. I mean, and, and I'd like to go see your questions over there and how you ask. I think that'd be really helpful. And, and I want to ask some more questions about um, the hiring process in general and, and finding these right people. Because in 2020, that was one of our big goals was to build out our team, to start scaling our team. And it was a great year for that reason. And I think now at 2021, we started to see the ramifications of hiring, right? Just the the consequences of hiring, whether good or bad, right? And so I kind of want to ask you, what what have been some of the, the key indicators that you found in the people that you're hiring to know that they're going to be able to actually fill, fill, the, fill the ballot, right? Be the type of person who can actually fulfill on the job that you're providing for them. One of the characteristics we've discovered is central to someone's success on our team. And I would generalize, I think, to, to most, most business situations. That quality is conscientiousness. And, and what I mean by conscientiousness is that's a person who is organized, who cares about getting the details right, who wants to make sure that he or she doesn't let a coworker or a customer down someone who, who will put aside his or, own, uh, his or her own needs to, to get the job done or stay late if necessary. And so we've, we have a, a dedicated script, um, an interview template, I'll call it, to, to ask questions that, that discover that quality in people. Because if, if you're the kind of salesperson, for instance, who 
doesn't really care enough to to keep track of the the promises you've made that day to provide a piece of information to a customer who needs it before before the customer can proceed with a purchase or whatever. I mean, that, that's going to make it very difficult for you to succeed in the, in an environment where where customers expect to be called back. You know, it's just just the way it is. So, I think that's that's probably a good good place to stop. I love that. Well, I do have two final questions for you here, Jeff. And thank you so much for those answers, because I think if people will, will look at the way that you're doing your hiring, you obviously done it well across multiple different companies. I mean, you've got the scripts and everything that you've used or the questions you used. I would tell everybody, go check those out. But Jeff, I want to ask you if people want to get in communication with you, learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you? So jeffmoral.com and my last name is M-O-R-R-I-L-L. And I love to hear from readers and listeners and I respond to every email. So if, if anyone has any questions or comments, I, I'm just interested in the feedback that, that, that people give me. I love that. Very few people will give you access to them. So make sure you go check that out. Go check out Jeff Morrill. It's moral.com, but it's M-O-R-R-I-L-L. <laughs> JeffMorrill.com. So make sure you go check that out, everybody. And then my final question for you today, Jeff, you know, we've covered a lot of different topics here. So if you could say the one piece of guidance that you would give everybody as your final parting piece of guidance today, what would that be? There's a Chinese proverb that the hard part of riding a tiger is getting off. And I translate that in the context of what it's like to decide when the right time in your career is to, to pull back. And by pulling back, that might mean selling the business because you're just ready to do that. Or pulling back might be to, to appoint uh, an operational successor that you've prepared over the years to, to go ahead and do, do all the hard day-to-day stuff so that you can start focusing on broader pursuits. And I think the earlier you start thinking about those things, the better off you are. Because in my case, I, I found myself burned out surprisingly quickly. I was in my mid-40s, and I'd just been pushing so long, so hard, that I I'd, uh, didn't realize how much I was draining the tank. And I was fortunate, though, that I knew that there that day would come eventually. And so I'd, I'd invested a lot of energy in, in grooming one of our um one of our key managers to prepare him for all the responsibilities that that would be included in his in his job once he was doing mine. And so when it came time for me, the quarterback, to walk off the field and hang up the cleats because I couldn't couldn't take the sacks anymore, he he was ready to go and I can now stand on the sidelines and be the coach. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan Podcast. If you want to fill your favorite platform with dream customers, then come join myself and thousands of others of hosts at theluckytitan.com slash tribe. Here you can find guests for your show, get featured on other shows, and discover the secrets to building an audience of raving fans. So once again, go create your free account at theluckytitan.com slash tribe.